HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. On behalf of everybody at HeritageRadioNetwork.com, we'd like to send a special thank you to the Hearst Ranch, our biggest supporter and longest-running sponsor since we first started in 2009. Hearst Ranch is the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. Since 1865, the Hearst family has raised cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of the Central California coast. The result is beef with extraordinary flavor that's as memorable and natural as the surrounding landscape. For more information, visit www.hearstranch.com. Boys, I'm mellow as a honeydew. Yeah, that cat is high. No bad look in his eye. Oh man, he's high. Yes, higher than a kite. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm your host, Damon Bolte. In the studio today, I'm very pleased to have two lovely ladies from Pernod Ricard. I have Leslie Pariso and Ria Soler. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, so we have a lot to talk about, so we might as well jump right into it. Um, Leslie, you're the uh, New York brand ambassador, or is it the... Uh, Technically, it's national, yes. but I focus on New York because we are such a small brand. And it's such an awesome city. It is. And Rhea, <laughs> you work with Pernod Ricard also on the Bar Smarts program. Correct. I'm the Bar Smarts manager. Excellent. Yeah. The Bar the bar Smarts manager. Um, I actually had the pleasure of doing uh, a couple of events. Uh, I did the, the one day, and then I did the... Uh, the um, Pioneers in Mixology. Fantastic. I love that program. That, which you actually invited me to. Yeah. Thank you. That oh, was welcome. cool. I haven't meditated with Gary Regan at 10 in the morning before, but <laughs> now I can check that off my list. Yeah. Um, so, Pernod Ricard. It's been around, uh, these two brands have been around for a long time, and then they joined forces uh, eventually. Um, so, let's let's talk more about the brand uh, uh, Pernod. Um, the Absinthe brand, which, yes. which you represent. Can Absolutely. you give us a little background history on this? Definitely. Cool. Um, Pernod Absinthe is actually, it, it's I think, one of the more interesting brands in the portfolio because it has such a long history. It um, kicked off the Absinthe category as a formal marketed Absinthe uh, 200 years ago. It was created in 1805, so it's one of the longest standing brands in the portfolio. Cool. Yes. And um, so 
But it, w- it wasn't necessarily one of the first to come back into the U.S. market after the uh, the absent ban essentially got lifted. Uh, so was was it something that the brand wanted to wait a little while and <clears throat> like uh, how, what was the, the approach to that? Yeah, actually, um, it's it's interesting because Pernod as a brand has existed for a very long time, but. Um, up until 2007, most of the Pernod that people knew was a pastis, right. and that's called Pernod Classic. Um, Pernod Absinthe didn't come back onto the U.S. market until 2007 when the Absinthe ban was listed or lifted in the U.S., um, and it was 2002 in France. So um, there's still a lot of misconception wrapped up in what Pernod is as a brand. Um, so it does exist in two expressions as the pastis, which is the classic, and Absinthe, which is uh, the newest one. Sure. Yes. Um, the the pastis uh, was created in 1926, so it has been around for a very long time. Um, but it uh, it just kicked off again in the U.S., so it's still really new to the portfolio. Yeah. And it's a great product, too. Um, I've, I've used it often. Uh, and then also at the bar. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I had a uh, well. We we've definitely touched on the subject of absinthe quite a bit on the show, but I, I had a buddy of mine and of yours, uh, Maxwell Britton Absolutely. from Maison Premier, and we talked a lot about uh, the misconceptions of absinthe um, in the U.S. And people think you know it's gonna make you trip balls, man. <laughs> um, can we say that? It word? totally does. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like, I guess you know. There's been, it's kind of crazy because there have been so many articles about absinthe, and it's still the education on it is still not reaching all the little pockets and corners of the world. You know, yeah. right? everyone still thinks it's this thing that you drink and you're going to go crazy and start killing people and chop off your ear. I, I think that's for that's for a few reasons. It's really easy for us to get as forget as spirits professionals that. Um, we know absinthe doesn't make you trip balls, but not everybody else does because we're so wrapped up in this world where we're drinking spirits every day and constantly um, tasting them across categories. And, um, I mean, we have to remember that most of the American public are still, you know, vodka soda drinkers or beer drinkers or, you know, uh, very pedestrian wine drinkers. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Those are all um, sort of categories that you can jump into um, right off the bat, but but absinthe is one of those things that it's, it's such a niche category, and it's, it's also a flavor that we don't grow up with in the U.S. Um, most European countries have a um, licorice or um, anise-flavored spirit. Some form or another of that, that flavor profile. Exactly. Yeah. And we as Americans don't really have something to grow up that way. Um, most people in France grow up with just knowing what, the pasti- what pastis is or even the notion of an aperitif hour. Mm-hmm. It's not something that we um, experience as, as children. We don't grow up drinking wine or not, you know, when we were kids anyways. Um, <clears throat> so I think that it's, it is a forgotten category, the entire aperitif category in general. Um, I think it's also, there's a misconception that absinthe isn't a category, where in fact it has become, especially since it's been re-legalized in the U.S., its own legitimate um, category standing on its own two feet. And that's because uh, there are now American absinths, which are very different from French absinths, right. very different from Swiss absinthe, and it, also different from Spanish. Um, <clears throat> so I think the, the overriding takeaway from the category is... Uh, one, it doesn't taste good a lot of times because it's not actually mixed correctly. Right. And two, that there's only one sort of absinthe and that it's green and you light it on fire. 
Right. <laughs> Isn't that the, that's a very Czech way of doing it. It is. And it was never part of the traditional way that you served absinthe. Um, it, it sort of came about as a marketing tactic in the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, you light anything on fire and it's sexy. You yeah. flame an orange peel and ladies go crazy. Exactly. <laughs> I just light myself on fire sometimes behind the bar and I get way, way better tips. It's crazy, except then they're all on fire as well. Um, so I want to go back to what you were talking about, uh, about the, the aperitif hour. Yeah. And I, I think it was really, because I, I was just in France last week and I got to hang out with uh, one of your cohorts with the Bar Smarts program, uh, Paul Picolt, which was a lot of fun. Killer guy. Um, there was definitely a lot of aperitif hours <laughs> going on, you know, it's and it's something that I feel like is definitely coming back into into the spotlight in, in uh, the United States and the way we drink, you know, there's, you know, first of all, we're getting so much better, um, better vermouths mm-hmm. and different styles of uh, aperitif liqueurs and in, you know, even pasties, like we've, it's been around, we've had it forever. It's been that, like that bottle on the shelf that no one knows what to do with. They don't know how to serve it. They don't know how, like, to, like when you're supposed to drink it, how you're supposed to drink it. But I think there's a lot more, uh, Understanding of that style of drinking nowadays, which is really great. Um, I mean, for especially for something like an absinthe, you don't really think about like, oh, let's let's drink a high proof absinthe before dinner. But if it's if it's prepared correctly, then yes, of course, absolutely, yeah. It's um, traditionally the the aperitif hour specifically for absinthe was called the green hour, and um, it stems from during the Belle Epoque when aperitifs were huge, specifically absinthe and. Um, <clears throat> Everybody would be drinking it on the terraces and the cafes and their records of this lovely smell of fennel and anise floating through the streets. And so it, it you know, evoked those images of, of the green fairy and the romantic idea of writers sitting at cafes drinking their absinthe. Um, so it was called the Green Hour. I think today, going back to that idea, especially in the U.S., um, it's such a part of social culture, especially when you live in a city and living in New York or living in San Francisco where cocktail culture is blossoming. Um, it's it's easier to help people understand the idea of, of meeting at five, you know, five o'clock or six o'clock after work and having um, a vermouth or absinthe. Um, I still don't think it's necessarily where it should be in the rest of the U.S., but, you know, where cocktail culture is blossoming, it's absolutely coming back as a as a sort of tradition. Yeah, and it's so cool. Like, it, it, it's almost uh, the exact opposite of the perception of what what the U.S. thinks of absinthe because you don't think about a light, refreshing absinthe <laughs> before dinner. You think about, like... You Doing know, shots of flaming green liquid. <laughs> right, right, right. But it's it's so cool that, you know... Like, and, and even going back to, like, the the way that that we drink, as as a nation as opposed to you know other countries it's like you know we're not we're not trying to get like other countries like we're not trying to get wasted we're we're just drinking this because it's appropriate for the meal we're about to have or the meal we just had or you know we're on the boat let's have some rum but not like too much it's a ritual (laughs) as opposed to you know means to an end i think um but you, part of yeah, part of the misconception with absinthe is this this idea of why you're drinking it, and in reality, it is a ritual. It is one of those really slow, beautiful things, and I think that's part of the mystique of absinthe. Mm-hmm. Um, when you do it the tra- traditional way, it takes a long time. You're dripping water very slowly over a sugar cube, and you're elongating those really lovely flavors. And the point is to enjoy it, as opposed to lighting it on fire and 
tripping balls. <laughs> <laughs> but that is true. It's it's not. Um, it's becoming a part of a, more of a, a part of our drinking culture. Whereas before, it's it was sort of um, a novelty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and the part of uh, like the the dripping the water into the absinthe. Can you explain a little bit about yeah. what that does to the absinthe? Absolutely. Um, so the the point of dripping water into absinthe um, very slowly is one because absinthe is such a high proof. Most absinths um, are upwards of fifty five proof, and um, specifically Pernod is is sixty eight. Um, so it elongates fifty five percent. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it elongates all of those flavors. You you don't want to drink it neat because it's not something that tastes good on its own. Um, so when you're diluting it, you're sort of elongating all those those fragrances, pulling out the nuances and the complexity of, of the spirit. Um, the other thing that happens is called the luching process. And when water mixes with absinthe, um, the molecules are sort of bumping up against each other and it becomes cloudy as opposed to remaining a, a green, clear liquid. Um, that's because there are molecules called terpenes and they don't mix with water. Um, any sort of anise or fennel plant has those molecules and so that it becomes cloudy as opposed to remaining clear. And that's also the mystique. That's that's where people get the idea of the green fairy. And you watch this sort of process happen from the bottom of the glass up. Mm-hmm. And you drip it very slowly because if you didn't otherwise, uh, the two would separate. And it sort of looks like oil on top of water. Right. Yeah, so that's that's the luching process. A really, a really poorly produced Pousse Cafe. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Let's not do layered shots. <laughs> um, cool. And, and, and you know... I, I was actually lucky to, uh, speaking of Maxwell Britton, uh, to attend uh, the first part of his birthday party a few weeks back oh. and run into you there. And <laughs> we went through the whole process. We, we were at Weather Up in Tribeca. Yes. And uh, went through the whole process with the, the gigantic uh, absinthe fountain that he brought in, which was awesome. And, uh, yeah, it's it's fun to, like, like you were saying with the, the ritual side of it, mm-hmm. there's a lot of rituals with a lot of different spirits. And we're starting to uncover those as we move along through like culinary movements and uh, and um, and like just different uh, drinking culture, cultural aspects. And I think that's part of what's making the the cocktail and spirit side so much more interesting to people these days. And to experience that ritual you know, with a few friends is what it's all about. Yeah. And it's an amazing ritual because it is a 200 year old ritual. So you're sort of, you're sort of recreating this, this aspect of drinking culture that people have done for a long time. It's pretty amazing to think we're doing the same thing that, you know, Degas or Toulouse-Lautrec were doing, um, essentially in the same way, 100, 150 years ago. Um, what you missed later that evening at Maxwell's was, <laughs> was the dance party, the epic dance party in his room where we also had a giant absinthe fountain. Nice. And everybody was drinking from it. <laughs> that's, that's a beautiful thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to talk uh, more about Pernod Ricard. And we'll, we'll get Rhea on the microphone so we can talk about bar smarts. Be right back. When the only people that existed were troglodytes. Cave men. Cave women. Neanderthal. Troglodytes. Let's take the average caveman at home. 
listening to his stereo. song you wanted to play for the break. Sorry. <laughs> All right, we're back. You're listening to The Speakeasy. In the studio today, I have Leslie Paraso and Ria Soler. We were just talking about uh, Pernod Absinthe and about the traditions and the rituals of enjoying absinthe. And uh, and basically uh, <laughs> reveling in some of the past experiences that we've had uh, in that whole ritual <laughs> drinking absinthe drinking absinthe <laughs> i've done my share <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah let's uh now let's talk to ria a little bit about bar smarts which is another thing that we've got going on with uh Perno. um it's a class that um the bartenders not only bartenders but uh really anyone who wants to it's mostly bartender focused but it uh it's um basically you've got the one day course we also have a 100 percent online course that we call wired Right. Which is uh, not quite as intensive as the one day. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about the uh, just how this got started and, and what what the uh, curriculum is? Sure. Uh, so, Bar Smarts was started in two thousand and eight as sort of a collaboration between Pernod Ricard and um, Beverage Alcohol Resource, which are the heavy hitters: your Paul Packolds, uh, your uh, your Dave Wondrich, your Dale DeGroffs, uh, Andy Seymour. Who am I missing there? Steve oh, Steve. Olson. Can't miss Olson. <laughs> and, and Doug Frost. <laughs> and of course, Doug Frost. Uh, so really uh, high-level spirits professionals, wine professionals, that do a course in New York called the Bar 5 Day. Bar 5 Day is once a year. It's very limited enrollment, and it's, it's quite pricey. So not a lot of people get to do it, and a lot of people wanted to do it. So what we decided as a company was to figure out a way to sort of bring that same information, almost that same information, uh, to a larger group of bartenders that were hungry for education. Now, this is 2008 when, you know, this cocktail culture is really in its nascence, and, and people are really starting to pay attention to what they're doing, fresh ingredients, history, you know, imbibe has come out, you know, the, that amazing book that really changed the way yeah. people looked at uh, cocktails, and people were just paying attention to what they were doing again, and so... Um, my boss. Oh, there we go. I love Punch. <laughs> Punch is a phenomenal book. Uh, so what uh, Pernod Ricard did was they saw this 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 opportunity, this lack, and um, partnered with uh, the bar partners to create a curriculum for us. Um, we take it around regionally six to eight times a year to about 100, 120 bartenders. And uh, it's a day of blind spirits tasting, testing. Um, there's a written test. Uh, you have to make cocktails in front of the judges. So when you're making cocktails in front of, you know, Paul Packle, hands tend to shake. I, I had to make mine in front of Steve Olson, which Did you? really sucked. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember your cocktails? I had to make a mojito, and I was like, 
okay, mojito. Sure. It's like, really? <laughs> I just can't get away from this drink? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny. You see bartenders, you know, that have been bartending for 15, 20 years. And, uh, you know, you tell them to make Manhattan and they just freeze. You know, it's, it's, it's such inherent knowledge. But when you have to think about what you're doing in front of these people that are, you know, somewhat your idols, it, uh, it becomes quite stressful. So, uh, so yeah, that's what we do. We also do continuing education programs like the one you attended, Pioneers in Mixology. Uh, that was the inestimable Gary Regan and cohorts. Uh, <laughs> that was that was such an amazing day. I mean, not only, it, like I said earlier in the program uh, about uh, waking up and being there super early in the morning and having sure. Gary Regan, or sorry, Gaz Regan, yeah. uh, lead you in, in meditation. And he's like, what? Where the hell did I just end up? This yeah. is crazy. But then, you know, like Tony talking about, uh, Tony, like, uh, Nick Strangeway, like, all these amazing yep. people, uh, you know, Deshaun. Mm-hmm. Like, Aisha. It was, Aisha, it was, yeah. It was really something exceptional. So uh, that's, I mean, that's the joy that, that, I, that I take out of my job is that I get to bring this really high level of education to people that are already so educated about what they do, you know, are so passionate about it. And to see their, their passion reciprocated, you know, with other professionals in that way, it just really validates, I feel like, what, you know, what, what you guys do, what we do, you know, it's, it's really reciprocal. So Yeah, it's cool. And, you know, uh, this is, it's so much different than, like, like a bartender school. You know, it's oh, like, yeah. a, and, you know, I, and I, I want to, I just want to stress that for listeners who aren't necessarily familiar with bar mm-hmm. smarts. Um, you know, a lot of times, like, when you receive a resume, like, as a bar manager, you see, like, bartending school with no experience. I'm like, I don't. <laughs> right, like, right. No, of course. Yeah, that doesn't count. I mean, this this course is for bartenders that have that already been bartending know, yeah. and want to take their skills to the next level. This, and, and you can yeah. never really know it all. So it's, it's right? great to have these things, especially like, you know, the Pioneers of Mixology. It was like a one day thing also. And it's like, I'm sure you've got a lot more of these types of things planned and coming up in the future. Absolutely. I mean, just uh, next week, we're going to be in uh, Southern California uh, for Bar Smarts doing a coffee cupping. Uh, coffee cupping is a... Uh, is a really hard look at the way you taste and evaluate coffee. And, and we did this because coffee is the number one consumed beverage in the world. And we said, okay, our guys know how to taste spirits and they probably know how to taste wine, but you know what? I bet they need to know how to taste coffee and how that applies to their bar program. So we're bringing a coffee expert, you know, it's, it's, it's every sort of education that we can think of, you know, to, to bring along. So actually I had a consulting job with a coffee company and what the reason why I was doing is because I, at one point, I was working behind the bar, and someone came in and ordered coffee, and I was like, where the hell is all this stuff to make this? And I, I scrambled to make, make a coffee, right. and I was like, I should know how to do this. Right. So uh, I eventually learned how to do it, and then I thought, you know, how cool how cool it is that there are so many similarities between bartending and being a barista. Exactly. And, you know, if you're, if you're making drinks at all, I mean... You might as well take like the Imbibe magazine approach and be able to make every kind of drink. You right, know? right, which is interesting because I guess this this month's Imbibe. I don't know if you saw it, was there was actually an article about coffee cupping in there and and oh, how cool. you know how to do that. So we just really try to stay relevant and um, continually update our information so that our graduates we know are getting the absolute cutting edge of, of, of what's going on in the industry. Cool. Yeah. And you guys are involved in in one way or another with like USBG. Sure, absolutely. Uh, we have a really good relationship with USBG. They're phenomenal. Every uh, Bar Smarts graduate. So after you do the one day program and and you pass, you actually do have to pass. Not everybody <laughs> passes. I know it's it's sad, but you know if you study, you do the work. You know you you put your yourself into it. You do, but. 
The people that pass our graduates, uh, we give them a one-year membership to the USPG. Mm-hmm. Uh, we partner with them on um, different events. You know, we just, you know, it's, it's sort of a hand-in-glove. You know, they, they're, they're on the same wavelength that we are. So, you know, just supporting the industry. Absolutely. You know, I, I'm a member of the USPG. I have been for a couple of years now. And, you know, it's, it's really cool, like, going on the trips with the USPG and, you know, like, going to distilleries, mm-hmm. just checking other places out, getting out of your, you know, we work so much in New York City, so it's nice to get out. But um, I think it's like in a lot of ways, you know, it's the same uh, kind of vibe that you guys have, just providing more and more information constantly and trying to give bartenders and enthusiasts an out like a like a like almost an outreach program to where you can actually bring this stuff to this this education to uh, the people who definitely want it. You know, like you said before, um, you can never know it all. I want to talk. Okay, I want to get on subject, but a little off. Uh-huh. So I, it's not I, about that song I picked, is it? <laughs> no, we're not going to talk about chocolate. <laughs> okay. Um, so you were talking about you, you do have to pass all this stuff. I mm-hmm. was just wondering, and like and this is probably not the best thing to bring up on the show, but what, what was your score? What, what, yeah, what was, what was my score? Uh, no, <laughs> no, I don't, I, I, I've always wondered what the uh, the. The, the, the pass failure rate, rate yeah. The pass rate is a it's about hovers around eighty percent, seventy five, eighty percent. Some places, um, some cities do better than others. So, I mean, like we have an upcoming uh, Bar Smarts uh, November eighth here in uh, New York, okay. and um, we're really excited about that. Uh, New York typically does really well. One because we're based here. Uh, two because everyone in New York is just so passionate about what they do. And it's you know it's it's, it's, it's New York cocktail capital. Yeah, you it's know. New York. Uh, so, some you know regional smaller markets, which I will not call out by name by, by any <laughs> stretch of the imagination. No, I can't do it. Um, sometimes they don't do as well, and it's not because they're less intelligent or they're less into it. It's that they've had less. Um, exposure to what's right. going on. They, you know, they're kind of insulated. And so this is the first time, which is why, again, the program is so amazing. Somebody's coming to a small market, say, like City X, and saying, <laughs> we see that you're trying to get yourself somewhere, City X. Let us support you. And, you know, so... Yeah. And, and people that pass, you know, they're really... They're upset about it, you know. And they're not upset at us. They're upset at themselves, you know. Yeah. And, and, they, and what we do is we offer... Wired is the 100% online version. So obviously it doesn't involve the cocktail making component. Uh, but it is the same workbook. So all of the same information is there. It's not the blind tasting portion. But all of the written information is the same. And so if somebody doesn't pass the advanced program, we immediately say, hey, like take Wired on us, get through the program, become part of the community of Bar Smarts. Because you know, ultimately we want everybody to pass. You know? Yeah, of course. It's not exclusionary in the least. Nice. Yeah. Um, great. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember when I was doing the uh, the first one, there was everything was online. So I mean, in the test when you got to the, uh, the, I can't remember which hotel it was at, but it was really early in the morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we do that. <laughs> I don't like it either. I have to be there at six in the morning. Oh no. Yeah. That, you, you know, that's just like when you take a flight early in the morning. You just stay up all night. Oh, right. Yeah, no. <laughs> they don't like that. You didn't do that. <laughs> Not so much. No, but everything everything was online. So you sure. go and, you know, it's it's pretty similar to what the test is that you take the next day. You Absolutely. Know? So, yeah. Um, you get a spiffy workbook. Get a very spiffy workbook. I wrote some of that. I'm pretty excited about it. And you get a, a <laughs> after that course, you get a, a, a swag bag. Bar yeah. bag. Yep, get a swag bag. I uh, used to get uh, silly t-shirts that said, I survived bar smarts, but we nixed those. <laughs> I'm not sad about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it's, uh, you know, all around, it's a it's a really cool program. It's a great resource for uh, bartenders and the like. And I think, uh, you know, 
Pernod Ricard and Barsmore's, it's just a great, great thing to have all of that working together and have the two of you working together. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you guys are hilarious and, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and amazing. <laughs> and, um, Thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for oh, having thank us. Thank you so much for having wonderful. us. I'll plug www.barsmarts.com. Mm-hmm. That's where we live online. And uh, like I said, November 8th, there's still a few slots left for uh, New York. So thanks again. Absolutely. Thank you. I'm going to make a plug for Perno yeah. Absent. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> we just started a, uh, a really wonderful program in Williamsburg in the neighborhood that we're sitting in. And uh, it it sort of hooks in all of the, the art galleries on second Friday. So if you're out and about on a second Friday um, in October or November, uh, we have 10 core galleries that we're working with that will all be serving Perno Absinthe Punch. And then um, if you make your way around to some of the bars, you'll see Perno Absinthe cocktails popping up. Uh, right now we're at Lighthouse, which is a really lovely place that just mm-hmm. opened, I believe, in the spring. Um, we're at Dressler, Dram. Uh, you can find us, obviously, at Maison Premiere with Mr. Britton. Um, Love him. Bar smart. <laughs> <laughs> and a few other places so if you're out and about start looking for Perno Hudson <laughs> okay it's been my pleasure having you two on the show today and uh, I hope to have you again sometime in the future love it thank you All right. thanks to Leslie Perso and Ria Soler this has been the Speakeasy I'm Damon Bolte we'll see you next week cheers look at that look in his eye man I wouldn't lie it gets higher than a guy now when you see him stumbling Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. This is a message from Fork and Anchor. Aaron Fitzpatrick, the host of our wine program, Unfiltered, is looking for help on Kickstarter to open Fork and Anchor, a general store inspired by two food-loving ladies with an equal affection for urban life, the sea, and the agricultural paradise of Long Island's North Fork. The store is situated in a growing community of farmers and winemakers and will become a meeting place offering prepared foods, a variety of sun-dries, and a selection of homespun products, many of which will have their origins in New York State. Your backing will help them fulfill their dream of fostering relationships with the community and making the local food system accessible on a broader scale. Search kickstarter.com for Fork and Anchor and donate today. The Heritage Meat Shop has just opened in the Essex Street Market. Open from 9 to 7, Monday through Saturday, and 10 to 6 on Sundays, the Heritage Meat Shop supports independent family farms and animal welfare-approved and certified humane raising standards. Most importantly, they offer a wide variety of heritage breeds. So stop by, get a sandwich, try the charcuterie. The Heritage Meat Shop at the Essex Street Market. The following is a message from Heritage Foods USA. 14 family farms and over 50 restaurants have committed to participation in No Goat Left Behind, a new program developed by Heritage Foods USA, a meat distribution company dedicated to preserving endangered breeds. Without an end market, the majority of male dairy goats are sold into the commodity market or killed at birth. Dairy farmers are always struggling with feed prices, milk prices, and weather. Goats usually have twins or triplets, and for every female who will become a milker, there is a male buckling who will become a financial drain. 
it makes no sense that these males are sold into the commodity market or put to death when the United States imports almost 50% of its annual goat supply. Home consumers interested in participating can order goats through HeritageFoodsUSA.com. They will receive goats via FedEx, and home delivery is available for New York City customers. In addition to the goat, these packages will also include recipes and a DVD featuring interviews with the farmers, processors, and chefs demonstrating how to break down and cook goat. Again, for more information on No Goat Left Behind, visit www.heritagefoodsusa.com or call Aaron Fairbanks at 718-389-0985. The following message is from Bubby's. Bubby's Main Street is thrilled to announce a fall program of special dinners celebrating efforts to renovate American agriculture and the American menu. Each event will feature a conversation with persons who are deeply involved in a significant aspect of this project, followed by a meal that illustrates materially and pleasurably the themes under discussion. From our perspective at Bubby's, we observe and participate in three parallel movements that are gaining momentum in the New York region and around the country. New farmers supplying green markets and alternative food networks with produce and animals raised without relying on an arsenal of chemicals or industrial methods. New artisans reinventing food crafts and a fresh appreciation of authentic American cooking from all regions and communities. For more information about these events, visit bubbies.com. That's B-U-B-B-Y-S.com. Or contact Danny Finkel directly at 646-338-0422.